This morning we're going to continue with our series on our foundations, and this morning our uh, our message is on a church that worships. And what a great morning to have to speak on this because <laughs> I don't know. I think we had a great time together worshiping. So I I was thinking to myself while while we were worshiping God, I was saying, man, if I can't do this this morning, there's a problem, and There again, there's always room for me to mess up. So uh, anyway, we're going to move on. I'm going to ask God to help us this morning, so let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you, God, that you you give us light in our minds and in our hearts. And Father, I pray this morning that as I speak, that your truth would be evident. Lord, I pray that uh, you would remove the stuff that is of no consequence. And Lord, we would focus on you this morning. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. Would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen. We're going to start this morning, and we use as a base scripture, um, a scripture out of Hebrews 12, but we're going to kind of bounce around a little bit, and because there's so many things to unpack when it comes to worship, and so we're going to, we're going to use as our base scripture, Hebrews 12, and there's two parts that I want to talk, uh, I want to speak, uh, or want to share And then we're going to move on with our points this morning. So first, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24, and we're going to skip a bit and go to 28, 29. And the writer of Hebrews uh, is encouraging the church in worship. And basically, he says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given, quote, even if even a beast touches the mountain, it it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So, wow, he's like, read that first few verses and say, what is he talking about? And the writer of Hebrews is making reference to what his hearers would have understood immediately, talking about the time of the Jews in the desert talking about the fact that God um, was not somebody who could be freely approached. He could not be freely... um, You couldn't touch Him. You couldn't come near Him. You couldn't draw near Him. And so there's that awesome and terrible um, threat of death if He was approached without proper uh, preparation, really. But that's not the way it is now, thankfully. And he says, but, and I love it when you see the word but, it says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. And so he says, you know what? We're now in the church. We're now part of the church. We're now part of the church who has unfettered access to the Father. But now you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We're not talking about Israel, Jerusalem here. We're not talking about a geographic location. We're talking about the new Zion, which is the church. And so we come uh, with immeasurable angels in festal gathering. And so this, this image that's conjured up of celebration. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. This morning, if you're a Christian and you love Jesus, 
You've been made perfect. You've been made righteous through the blood of Christ. He's the firstborn. He's the one that enables us to come into the presence of God like we did this morning. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And this morning we heard, we sang about the blood of Jesus. How the blood of Jesus gives us access. It's because of the blood of Jesus and us falling at the feet of the cross. And just as Angela shared this morning, a beautiful image. We fall at the feet of the cross and then we, can, we will be seated at the foot of the throne for eternity. What an amazing thing. Because of one, we get the other. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. See, God hasn't changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You know, some people would say that God is different in the Old Testament than the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have a God that's angry. In the New Testament, we have a God that's all love and kisses. That's not true. God is the same in the Old Testament as He is in the New Testament. He's just as loving in the Old Testament. He's just as judicious in the Old Testament as He is in the New Testament. He's still a consuming fire. We still worship Him in reverence and in awe through the blood. We are covered. And the fire that would fall on us doesn't because of Jesus. When God looks at us, He sees us as covered just as the Israelites, their doorposts were covered by the blood and they were passed over when the angel of death passed over uh, Egypt. Judgment passes over us in the same sense because of the blood of Christ. It's a beautiful image. So first of all, we ask the question, what is worship? And I love this descriptor of Wayne Grudem's. He says this, that worship is the activity of glorifying God in His presence with our voices and our hearts. Something we do especially when we come into God's presence when we are conscious of, ador- uh, of adoration of Him in our hearts, and when we praise Him with our voices and speak about Him so others may hear. You know, sometimes worship is referred to um, in, as the whole part of the Christian's life, that all of our life is to be an act of worship. And that's true, that our life is an act of worship. Everything we do, everything we think, everything we say, is to be reflected by our standing in Christ as an act of worship. And that's all true. Sometimes, however, I have a feeling that we as the church, we use that as a bit of an out to put more emphasis on that than what the Bible speaks to over and over and over again about our coming together corporately and being in the presence of God in worship. There's something about that that the Scriptures are very clear about. And so Gurdam talks about the activity, the actual activity of making the conscious decision individually and corporately of coming together to worship God. Does that mean that we just worship God on a Sunday morning? Absolutely not. Because we may not even meet on a Sunday morning. But it means wherever we come together, 
wherever we come together, there should be an aspect of worship to what we do, to what we say. Terry Rogo says, truth sung with faith and in the power of the Holy Spirit can have a mighty liberating effect on us. And you see, there are things that happen when we worship God. There are things that happen when we worship God. Our first point this morning is that God's presence is prized. God's presence is prized. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. The picture there is is worshiping God and prizing that worship. This morning, I just just felt like, you know, I, I was preparing this message this week, and I was thinking this morning as we were worshiping, it's like, I'm prizing this. Perhaps you were here this morning and say, you know what? I'm really thankful to be in God's presence. Well, you're prizing, you're prizing His presence. There's nothing like God's presence. And don't get me wrong. We experience God's presence all the time. But there's something, there's a dynamic that happens when we are together and we're worshiping God. There's a corporate sense of His presence that is with us. The highest calling is to be a worshiper of God. It's the highest calling of our lives to be a worshiper. There's no question about that. The the, the Scriptures speak over and over again about it being the highest thing that we can attain to. David, over and over again in the Psalms, is always worshiping God. And many of us use David in the Psalms as a model for worship. You see, God is the source of our greatest fulfillment and our satisfaction, or at least He should be. And when we come into God's presence, He has a way of sorting that out. Because you see, you can't worship God fully, you can't worship God fully if there are barriers in the way. And it's not a judgmental thing. That's just the way it is. You can't worship God fully if there are things in the way. So is he the source of our greatest fulfillment and satisfaction? The Westminster Catechism puts it this way. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the best that we can attain to. It's not about making a million dollars. It's not about being the most popular person at your school. It's not about being the best salesman in your workplace. It's about glorifying God and enjoying him. John Piper even goes further, and I like this, because he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. That puts more of a personal, a personal spin on it, basically saying the same thing, but personalizing it, that He's most glorified in us when we're the most satisfied in Him. We prize Him. He's the source of fulfillment. God is is wonderful. And in my life, and I hope in all of our lives, we seek to be most satisfied in God. Not in our sports, not in our careers, not in our pursuits, not in our hobbies. Although all those things are good things, we'd all agree. But they can take a higher place than the position that God should be in and ultimately lead to the opposite of fulfillment and the opposite of satisfaction. 
They can be dead ends. They can be the very things that destroy us, the good things that God has put into our lives for enjoyment. But God would want to be number one. He'd want to be the object of our affection. Piper says this, we praise what we enjoy. I ask myself the question, like, do I enjoy God? We praise what we enjoy because the delight is incomplete until it is expressed in praise. If we were not allowed to speak of what we value, get this now, if we were not allowed to speak of what we value and celebrate what we love and praise what we admire, our joy would not be full. God loves us enough to make our joy full. He loves us enough to give us a life that's full of joy. He not only gives us himself, he must also win from us the praise of our hearts. He wins our heart. Has he won your heart? Has he won my heart? Additionally, God gives us purpose in Christ through his spirit. Not only is he the source of our greatest fulfillment and satisfaction, but he gives us purpose. He gives us purpose. You could speak a a hundred messages on this. The purpose of our life is found only in God. You can find purpose in many things, but it's temporary purpose. It's not going to give you what you need ultimately when the chips are down. The purposes of God in our lives ultimately feed into everything else. And so... The purposes of God are not compartmentalized. We don't have, our life is not as, as some, uh, if you read the textbooks in Psychology 101 or in, in some courses at university or even high school, our life is not a pie and we have different uh, pieces of the pie and you know, our, one aspect of that is not uh, our purpose in God. God is the pie. And everything else flows out of our finding our purpose in Him. The reality of it is, is that we have a God-shaped hole in our lives that can only be filled by Him. It's reserved for God's presence. It's a puzzle that's God-sized only. There's a puzzle piece that's God, that that hole is, is like a puzzle hole, and it can only be filled by God's presence. My son Aram is a master puzzle maker. He is. When he was a little kid, he could do puzzles like you wouldn't believe. Still can. He just, like it was amazing. We'd sit down together at the table to do a puzzle. And there'd be me, and there'd be Barb, and Joel, and Aram. And, and Sam was just too small to do them. But we'd be all there, and we'd be doing this big puzzle, you know, usually in the summertime at the cottage. And so, of course, to do the puzzle, you do the outside border first, and then you start filling in things. And Joel and Barb and I, we'd be like, Oh, you know, we racking our brains trying to make things fit and trying to ultimately jam pieces where they don't go. Joel would be like, I, got, I, think I, I think I have this one to fit. No, Joel, no, you're with me. Aram looks, seriously, Aram could look at the puzzle, what was finished. He could look at the pieces, it's true, eh, Joel? And he would literally, he would just be very meticulous and without doing anything, he'd just pick up a piece and drop it into place. I was like, what is that? You're genius. (laughs) 
How much did she pay you? But the bottom line is, you have a, and I have a hole in our life that can only be filled by the puzzle piece that is God's presence. It's, I hate to use the key analogy, but God's presence is the key that unlocks everything in our life, our purpose, everything. There's an old song by a band called Plum, and if you remember them, then you're old. But their line went this. It, it, the, the, God, the song was called God-Shaped Hole, and it said, and the restless soul is searching. There's a God-shaped hole in all of us, and it's a void only He can fill. Only He can fill it. Worship's purpose is to place attention on God, not on us. Our worship is to be Godward. Our worship is to be placed where it belongs. You see, God is in us, but yet He is other. And sometimes the tendency is for a lot of, and you'll, you'll see this if you look around the worship music that's out there today, sometimes the worship music tends to be a bit me-focused rather than God-focused. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have music that gets us into a place where God is, you know, and we can't express that. We can express that music where God, his, his, what He's doing in my life, we sing about it. Yes, we can. But ultimately, we begin with God. God is other. We worship Him. We give Him the praise that He's due. He knows that our lives are enriched when he, we focus on Him. That's the beauty. It's like God loves us so much, He knows that our lives are going to be enriched when we focus on Him. And so He draws us by His Spirit, He attracts us by His Spirit, and He gives us the benefit of His presence. And so we worship Him. And ultimately, worship brings to light the purpose, the very purpose of the church. You see, because we're not just talking about individual worship. We're talking about the church. We're talking about the church achieving and receiving its purpose through worship. Through the expression of worship, corporate worship even. Thirdly, in this point, we're called to worship God both individually and corporately. So yes, we do worship God. I worship God in my car. I worship God when I get up in the morning. I worship God when I'm at work. Trust me. There are days where I am faced with meetings and I, my only recourse, in fact, my only recourse at all times, really, is to worship God. But I, I had a meeting this week and I said, God, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I worship you. I thank you for this meeting. I, I have no strength in and of myself to do this. But God, I'm trusting in you. I'm, I worship you because you're going to give me what I need in this meeting. And if I come out looking like an idiot, God, it's because you've allowed it. Trust me, there are times when I get into these meetings and they can go down the toilet real fast. But we worship God all the time. So individually, I can worship God. I worship God in my car. And thankfully, the windows are usually up. But we are called to worship Him corporately as well. And that's part of it. You know, it's not, as Joe said last week, it's not just me and Jesus. It's not just me and Jesus and away we go and we're going to live our life together alone. We're called corporately to be with Him. You see, 
When you see the word you in the New Testament, and in the Old Testament, it's the plural. It's the plural. Now, it's a collective as well, because we can personalize the Scriptures for ourselves, yes. But when you see the word you, it's always reflective of a plural. It's always reflective of community. We live in a day that totally focuses on the value of self, the individual. The Bible is always speaking, though, about community. The us, the together. Corporate worship is not optional. It's not an option. Oh, I'm just going to stay home and I'm going to worship God myself. Okay, well, you can do that once in a while. and I'm not going to your house to check on you. But how fulfilled, you're, you're not, if, if that's all you're choosing to do, you're robbing yourself of the blessing of being with others. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir one, up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Like, you could have wrote that today. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, capital D, drawing near. Thing is, too, is that it takes time to learn to worship together. It's not something that just happens. We learn to worship together. We learn, just as we at TAG on a Sunday night, we learn to pray corporately together. We learn to worship together. It's not just a spectator sport. When we get together on a Sunday morning, it's not the band just doesn't, for us, the band doesn't just get up and sing some songs and we sing along and we sit down and away we go. We learn that we all participate in this together. And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Secondly, the church benefits in worship. Isaiah 62.4 says this, You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you. Did you know that the Lord delights in you, in who you are? He delights in you. It says in, in, the, it says in Zephaniah that he's, the Lord sings over you. There's some of you that probably hate the sound of your name. The Lord loves your name. He sings over you. He delights in you. He's amazing. He's an amazing God. He delights in us. You see, we have the privilege, we have the privilege of having an intimate relationship with God. And together, we can relax in His presence as a family. Some of our earthly families are not so relaxing to be around, are they? So all you guys have perfect families. But the family of God, when we get together, we get a chance because of the fact that we've been drawn together by His Spirit through the blood of Christ, we can relax and be in His presence together. I know sometimes when I go home, like, folks, I'm 52 years old. And sometimes, even now, when I go home to visit my folks, something happens when I, where I just, I'm not as relaxed as I am with you folks. Yeah, and we have issues. 
And some of the family, the blood family stuff is the toughest stuff to work. Sometimes you go home and you're just like, man, like, I feel like I'm still 16. I haven't left home. Anybody ever had that feeling before? But you know what? God puts us in those families. God puts us in those places for a reason. But in His presence, He accepts us as who we are, and He loves us in His presence together, and we move towards, we move along as a family, and He sanctifies us together. He helps us together. We're able through relationship to help one another out. We're able to, if necessary, correct one another. We do that in love. See, we can enjoy liberty through Jesus because we're set free from sin and guilt and shame. And folks, you don't want to know the half of my life. But I can tell you this, that I've been set free from the shame that was mine. See, it was put on the shoulders of Jesus, just like all of yours was too. It was put on his shoulders. So, because of Jesus, we have this intimate relationship with God. We can relax as a family because God delights in us. It's an amazing thing. Secondly, we draw near to God, and God draws near to us. Now, you couldn't write this one. Like this morning... You have a sense that God was drawing near to us. Yeah, I knew I was speaking on this this morning. But it's a lesson in, you know, when we decide that we're going to draw near to Him, He draws close to us. We have a complete confidence to approach our dad. I learned about, oh gosh, about 16 years now. You see, I, I'm a slow learner. But about 16 years ago or so, I started to understand the, the, the fact, not the concept, but the fact that God is my dad. He's the, he's the heavenly father. And sometimes we, we start our prayers a little bit, sometimes a bit flowery. We say, oh, heavenly father, you know. But you know what? Really, we have the ability to approach him as our dad. As our dad. And in, in working through issues sometimes with other men, you know, like, I, I oftentimes, you know, am, am discovering that, that, that other men are working through issues and they're having a hard time understanding God is their father. God is their dad because of bad experiences they had with their own dad. Anybody identify with that? And I know that was my situation. And you know what? It wasn't my dad's fault, a lot of it. But what happened was when I became a Christian, I, here's... If you can imagine, here's God the Father, and here's my earthly father, and I used my earthly father as a filter to see God. And so, God the Father, all of a sudden, I started to think, and in fact, I thought that God the Father was going to treat me like my earthly dad. And God, by His Spirit, showed me that this wasn't the right way to think about God. That it had to be this way. That God, my heavenly father, my dad, is the filter by which I view my earthly father. Changed everything. Changed everything. I was then able to extend grace to my dad. 
I was then able to understand my dad and what his motivations were. And, and here I am assigning motivations to what he used to do. And I'm like, a lot of that was me assigning motivation when they weren't there at all. My father grew up in the Depression. He grew up with nothing. He had a grade six education, left school so he could work on the farm. He was the youngest of 14. And his expression of love to me was the fact that he could provide. The fact that he could put food on the table. And as a result, I didn't get a lot of hugs. I didn't get a lot of I love yous. I didn't get a lot of visits to the hockey game kind of thing. But I assigned a motive to that. And what do you think that motive was? My father doesn't love me. My father doesn't care for me. You see, because the way I'm wired, and some of you who know me know that I'm wired because I respond to words of affirmation. How could my father know that? Until I started to see him through God's filter. Set me free. Set me free to approach my heavenly father as my dad and to set my earthly dad free. We have great relationship. See, we may not see God, but we are in his presence. And folks, even though you can't see God, even though you can't see him, he's more real than the air you're breathing right now. He's more real than, than the, the seat you're sitting in. We worship oftentimes the things that we can see. Go to a hockey game. And the Montreal Canadiens and the Bell Center and everything like that, that's, that's the religion of Quebec. They talk about, there's a commercial on TV talking about, you know, equating the hockey rink to uh, a holy place. I don't know if you saw that commercial or not. Interesting. But the reality is, is that you can see it. And you can see people going to worship every time they go to a hockey game. Now, I'm not judging those people. I'm just saying, for some, it's pretty much life and death. I love hockey. I love going to hockey games. I went to all the games of the CIS Nationals last year. It was wonderful. But you've got to have it in a proper perspective as well. So we may not see him, but we're in his presence. He makes himself known to us through worship. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's like the solution for everything is drawing near to him. You are holy, Psalm 22. You are holy and throned on the praises of Israel. So God loves it when we worship him. See, God also ministers to us. So we draw near to God. He draws near to us. And what happens? He ministers to us in that. You know, how many times have I heard people say about being in worship, whether it's here or somewhere else, I just feel so much better. Or you get this one sometimes. I'm able to see my circumstances, which, you know, so much differently. Or sometimes it's this one. You get someone who comes into one, one of the meetings that we have, whether it's a life group, whether it's TAG, whether it's here, and they come up to me at the end and they say, I'm just so embarrassed. I say, why are you so embarrassed? I, say, I just can't stop crying. Well, it's not just emotional reaction. Well, it is an emotional reaction to what? To the presence of God. You see, God ministers to us. He draws us by His Spirit. He ministers to us 
when we worship. When we're in the presence of worshipers, you can even, you know, in a sense, get hit by God's presence. He ministers to us. He loves to be with us. We're built up and edified in his presence. I don't know about you. I love worshiping God. It's my favorite thing to do. My favorite thing to do is not to be here on a Sunday morning, although I love it. My favorite thing to do is to worship God. We get to do that here, which is great. But my favorite thing to do, my favorite pastime, if I have a hobby, it's the one I love to think about and contemplate on the most, is worshiping. Thinking and just contemplating the things of God. And you know what? Sometimes it's the most evident when I'm going through the toughest times. Because who do I have to turn to but Him? Who can I go to other than to, to Jesus with the stuff that befalls me? I, I have nowhere else to go. I, I mean, it's not a prideful thing to say that. It's just like I've got nowhere else to go. I can, I've tried to go other places, but they just don't satisfy. They don't give me any sense of purpose until I come back to the rock. I come back. I mean, it's so true. The Bible is so true in everything it says about God's presence. He edifies me. Not only that, he refreshes us in worship. So he ministers to us and he refreshes us. Guess what? Your flesh does not want to worship God. The last thing your flesh wants to do is worship God. David was very clear on that. He says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? He was speaking to himself. Yet I will, he makes his, I'm making a decision to worship God. Because he knows that if he takes his eyes off his circumstance and he worships God, he makes that decision to worship God, God, because of the way he is, loves us so much, he refreshes us. I was refreshed this morning in worship. I wasn't refreshed because the band was so good, although they were good. I was refreshed because I was in God's presence. God's presence fuels me. God's presence gives me life. In the car tomorrow morning on the way to work, I'll be driving my car, I'll be singing, probably praying in tongues or singing in tongues on the way to work. I shut the radio off. Sometimes you have to have radio silence. And I'll just worship God. I said, God, I need you. I love you. I worship you. I give you, I give you my life once again. Although imperfect as I am, I give you myself and I get to work and all hell can break loose when I walk in the door. Trust me, it can. It can with you too. It does. I know it does. Things happen. As someone said a couple years ago, shift happens. Right? All of a sudden, things are going one way, and all of a sudden, boop, 90-degree turn, and before you know it, everything's going south. But God. But God. God gives us stability. He refreshes us. And the bottom line is, we're made more like Him in worship. You see, there's something about being in worship. Our sin is called out. Our imperfections are called out in worship. And sometimes the, the process of sanctification, that is the process of us becoming more like Jesus, is accelerated or intensified in worship. Stuff happens faster when we worship God. It happens maybe faster, maybe not, but it can be more intensified when we worship God. Our walls come down. You see, when you worship God, you're taking your eyes off yourself. And so you're dropping your defenses. And if you're dropping your defenses, 
You're worshiping God. His presence, His Spirit, by His Spirit, comes in and starts to do a little housekeeping sometimes. And that's a wonderful thing. He meets us and lovingly puts His finger on things. Perhaps He wants to help us reorganize our relationships and help us in where relationships have broken. And maybe you've experienced that today. I know I have. God has helped me. See, in addition, God reveals Himself to unbelievers. It's like I said a few minutes ago, you can have people who don't believe in Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning, you'd say, I don't, I, I just came because I came in the wrong door and I thought the meeting would be interesting. Or maybe someone brought you here this morning and through the worship you're thinking like, what is this? We had someone in the meeting three weeks ago who, was, who doesn't know Jesus, isn't a Christian, showed up, and by the end of the worship was completely a mess. Completely undone. It's like, what is this? I've never experienced this. I've been to all kinds of things in my life. I've never experienced this. And to be honest, it was one of those things, you know, it was a, it was a great time of worship together and everything. And sometimes we become so familiar with our surroundings, we don't, you know, it's like, we don't get sometimes how much it impacts other people. Thirdly, we're free to worship in the Spirit. We're free to worship in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 says this, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, that all things be done for building up the church. See, God gives gifts to and for the church. He gives us gifts to enhance our activity on the earth. To enhance who we are. To enhance who we are as a body. He gives us gifts for outreach. As we call ourselves, you know, if you're a class, I, I hate the term, but if you're going to call it, if you're going to class the church, well, charismatic church. We, 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 someone would say, are you a charismatic church? Well, I'd say, yeah, we are. And it has nothing to do, really, it should have nothing to do with the type of music that we sing. So this morning we had a couple of Hillsong and a, I don't know, what did we have? A couple of Hillsong this morning and a, maybe a Chris Tomlin or two. I don't know. Kingsway, you know, we had. So just because we're singing those songs, we might clap or maybe because we got our hands up in the air, does that mean we're charismatic? It's got nothing to do with the style because, you see, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12 to 14, Paul is addressing the appropriate use of gifts in the church. He's not saying don't use them. There are some that hang their hat on a cessationist doctrine, which is terrible, exegesis. And they say, well, you know, the gifts have passed. Eh, they haven't passed. Paul never said that. Paul was talking about the gifts of the church and how to properly manage the gifts, how to properly administer the gifts in a meeting and in our lives. It was out of hand. He had to do something. He never once says, this is just, you know what, this is just for now. Never said that. It's not, they weren't singing Kingsway and Hillsong. Who knows what they were singing? They were singing scripture. I know that. But the bottom line is, is they had a free distribution of the gifts of the Spirit. There were tongues, there were interpretations, there were prophetic words. 
There were scriptures being read out. There were songs being sung. And those are signs of a church experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. The charismatic gifts of the Spirit. So just because a church doesn't sing Hillsong stuff and does hymns, if the, if the gifts of the Spirit are accepted and, and assumed to be in operation, because they are, then you can assume that they're charismatic. We shouldn't even really be talking about it, in my opinion. And are the gifts solely reserved for the private? No, they're, they're meant for the body. They're meant for us to experience together as a family, like we did this morning. Now this morning, we didn't have anybody uh, give a, a message in another language, which is a prayer that reverberates from our spirit that is Godward, and then somebody else, or even the person that gave it, interprets it for us to understand. Because a tongue, a tongue without interpretation is basically without profit for us corporately. But we didn't, we didn't have that this morning. It doesn't mean that if it doesn't happen this morning that all is lost. It doesn't mean that it has to happen every week. But it happens. Sometimes God will speak to us prophetically through somebody here. Where he will speak to us. He will encourage us. He will give us uh, an indication of his great love for us. And the thing is, is always there for our edification. See, God responds in our worship by speaking to us. And sometimes it's other things. I mean, I want to see more of the other gifts of the Spirit in operation. I love to see healing. I love to see God heal people in our meetings. But I mean, I love to have reports of somebody getting healed through the week when you're at work. Because you prayed for them. And God heals them. We'd love to see diverse miracles. We'd love to see all those things. They are for our day and our time. God, would you renew them in our time? Would you bring them back to us? Father, would you give them to the church as they are intended to be? I don't look. I I hope they. I hope any. I hope all the other churches experience the gifts of the Spirit in a, in a more magnified way. Even if we don't, it's like God, let it happen. Father, we want to see your spirit move with words of knowledge that speaks into people's lives and they say, you know what, God is with you. What do I have to do? How can I be saved? Just like Cornelius. How can I be saved? What do I have to do? God is with us, so his gifts flow in our meetings and individually. So you should see the gifts of the spirit flowing in your own life individually too. Has God spoken to you in prayer? Has God spoken to you when you're with him? Does he encourage you prophetically? He does. And he speaks. Thing is, though, like I said, sometimes we have to observe radio silence and tune out a little bit the distractions. Like, I do not want Twitter. I I just have no interest in that. I, I have enough stuff going on in my head. I don't need more stuff. I don't need more information come being pushed at me. I, and I don't need to push the fact that I'm having a Tim Hortons to somebody else. I, really, seriously. It, like, there, there's so much interference out there that I think there's good application for it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not writing it off. But all I'm saying is we have to be mindful. We have to be mindful of, 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 of our short, short, short attention spans. We have to, what do we do to combat that? What do we do in our personal lives? How are we going to change that? How are we not just going to be swept away in a, in a, 
in a, in a vast tide of information that really has nothing for us. We need to hear God. It's for the common good. It's for our good, as it says in, in the Scripture. It's to build us up. It's for our common good. See, God provides uh, a freedom in our meeting together. There's a freedom when we come together. We can, we can experience, experience His presence. It brings freedom. Jesus said, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. You are free. You're free in the Spirit. You know, and it really is important that we get that. That our meeting together needs to be symbolized by the freedom of being in the Spirit. See, our needs are met vertically and horizontally because God's presence is here for our common good. And we experienced that this morning. There were people here this morning that, ex- that experienced the horizontal relationship factor of having somebody pray for them in their own giftings of compassion and encouragement, and perhaps even prophetically. I don't know what was prayed for people here, but I would have to guess that if you received prayer this morning to receive more of God's grace, that that happened. That God is, God is visiting you with His grace and His mercy. So not only do we experience His presence vertically, but we experience it horizontally through the gift of the church. And it's a place where everyone participates. Did everybody share a scripture? Did everybody have a tongue or interpretation this morning? No, but we all participate. It's not observer. We don't claim observer status when we come together with God. For our common good, for your own good, it's good that you participate. It's good that you take part. That's why oftentimes we will exhort you, we'll encourage you. Okay, we have to decide to do this this morning. We're deciding, we're deciding to draw near to God. It's that simple. We make the decision to draw near to God. We, we make that conscious choice. It's, 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 it's like setting the bar this, this hot. I remember when I was at my lowest point, when, when our marriage was at its rockiest, and, and I remember laying on my floor in my bedroom, and I was like, God, what am I going to do? i got nothing. My, my marriage is, is awful, and, 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 it, and it's... Got a lot, it's all my doing, and and I'm 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 what do I do? And I just heard this this little. It was the first time in months. I just heard this little voice. Decide to draw close to me. It's like, speak to me, dummy. Like tell me to draw close. Like like will you you have to understand. You decide. Like sometimes I'm so thick. Like I had to decide. And, and verbalize it. It's like I almost felt like God was saying, you know, like, we're going to see where your relationship with me is right now. And so I just said, God, I draw close to you. I didn't have any feeling about it. There was no feelings. It was, I was flatlined. And I just said, God, I decide to draw close to you. What does God do when our hearts are humble and contrite? He doesn't turn us away. It's an amazing truth of the word. And in our common good and experiencing the Spirit, the Bible talks very clearly about having godly leadership in place, not to act as a police person, not to act as heavy authority, but to give shape and give security so that the family can 
be together and enjoy one another. In any family where, where dad and mom are absent, or where one is absent and the other, we know, we know that security lacks. We know that there's insecurity that's bred. And in our meetings, you know, we do believe that God has placed us humbly, humbly into this place of leadership where we, we want to encourage, we want to help, we want to provide a, a, like a, a security for what God is doing in His Spirit. And believe you me, it's not easy. You know, because we want, we want what we believe to breathe. We want our theology to breathe. We want, we want our, our leadership to be able to provide that, that safety zone for us to be able to experience God's presence in its fullness. And lastly, we just assume that God's Word and Spirit work together. Are you a word church? Are you a spirit church? I don't know that you can have a word church. I don't know that you can have a spirit church. You can't. These things go together. They can't be separated. You know, Paul was the wisest, one of the wisest men that has ever lived. He says, I didn't come to you with wise words, but with what? A demonstration of the Spirit's power. Does that mean he didn't have wise words to say? No. God, in his beautiful ability to clearly demonstrate the truth of Jesus, would demonstrate his power through the Spirit too. Like, How good is that? And we're a church that believes in a marriage of the two. You can't take them apart. You can't take them apart. The gospel is preached with the accompaniment of the Spirit. The truth of the gospel with the power of the Spirit, there's no replacement for. And in our meetings, we believe that we are solidly anchored in the truth. The truth of the Word. And this morning, I, I was so encouraged with Adam's, Adam's Scripture this morning. I was so encouraged with that. I was like, yes, the anchor, the rock is Jesus. So we don't emphasize one at the expense of the other. We can't do that. See, when Jesus is revealed, when the Word is revealed, it causes us to worship in spirit and truth. It's an internal thing. It's like, Jesus has been revealed. He took my shame. He took the, the punishment that was due to me. And when you reflect on the truth of the cross, it should do something. It should cause us to be thankful. It should cause us to say in, in wonders, like, oh, like I don't deserve any of this, but yet I am receiving it. It's amazing. And as a result, we encounter the living God. He's not dead. God is not dead. God is living, and we encounter Him, and we're changed and transformed in His presence. It's like, I need changing, folks. I need changing. I need transformation. I need encounter with God. That's the only way it's going to happen. And it happens in the beauty of being with the church that worships. With the church that can, you know, like, you don't know. Some of you know because I've told you, but you know what? You encourage me. You lift me up. But if it wasn't for Jesus, you couldn't do that. But you lift me up. You encourage me. You give me hope. You give me strength. But ultimately, I know that it's through the cross. Ultimately, I know relationships are so key. 
I mean, we met just recently with a young couple last Saturday, I guess it was. And this young couple, I mean, I know we were meeting with them and we were helping them through with, with something, but they, they've, they've got to know. They've got to know how much they encourage us, Barb and I. They encourage us so much. We just, like, I don't know where it comes from. We just have this sense of love for this, this couple. Like, I'm just like, and, and on the way out there, I said, you know what? You guys are so easy to love. It's like, it's because of God. It's because of being in a church that worships. Let's stand. Let's just pray together. Let's just ask God for help in seeing Him more clearly, in receiving from Him and giving Him our hearts. Let's, let's take a few minutes and do that. I just want to lead us in a prayer. And, you know, maybe God this morning has challenged you in some area. And, you know what? The, the enemy would come. He'd want to condemn you. God says, you know what? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for you. If you don't know Jesus this morning, He wants to draw near to you. All you need to do is say, you know what, God, I, I don't know much. I, all I know is, is what I've experienced this morning. I need my life. It's, it's true. All you need to do is open up your heart to Him and say, Jesus, would you come and change my life? We'll help you with the details. It's because of Jesus and His death on the cross. So, Father, this morning, we're pleased. We're so thankful to be part of a church that worships you. Father, would you help us in understanding your word? Would you help us in experiencing your spirit? Would you help us, God, to walk humbly before you? Would you pour out your spirit on our lives, God, this week as we go? Would you, would you infuse us with a deeper sense of awe and reverence for you? Father, would you, would you restore to us, O oh God, the things of old that we read about in the scriptures, God, the things that Jesus said we would do greater things than him even. Father, would you restore those things to the church? Would you give us power, God? Would you enable us, O oh Lord? We ask you humbly, God, would you come and would you speak to us? Would you fill us with your spirit this morning? Just ask him right now where you're at. Say, Father, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you give me a worshiping heart? And maybe this morning, you're, you, know, you, you, you may think that you're coming up lacking. You say, you know what, I haven't been much of a worshiper lately. You know, God is saying, hey, I delight in you. You draw him close to me. I'm drawn close to you. I'm going to minister to you. Just let him come and fill you. You don't need a band. don't need music. Just, Father, would you come and fill me this morning? Lord, I'm drawn close to you. I choose to worship you. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? I choose to worship you. I choose to worship you. Father, we take authority where we can take authority. We know that the weapons that we fight with are not of the flesh, but Lord, we choose this weapon of worship that overcomes the enemy through the blood of Jesus. We pray these things, Father, and we ask your blessing on us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.